Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's time to go inside the film room with veteran scout and coach Chris Landry and Scott Seidenberg breaking down college football from a different angle. It's the College Football Film Room Podcast. And welcome inside the College Football Film Room alongside veteran scout, coach, and consultant Chris Landry from LandryFootball.com. I'm Scott Seidenberg. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review to new episodes of the College Football Film Room Podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. And Chris, the recruiting never ends when it comes to college football, but now is the time where you're starting to see classes become more solidified for next season. Yeah, it is. May such a big recruiting month around college football and coaches are out, uh, assistant coaches are out and, and you're getting more and more and different schools handle it in a, you know their own way. But you're seeing a lot more early commitments uh, in this day and age. And uh, while the classes are you know not quite half full in most cases, you're seeing a lot of quality guys come on board. Clemson's uh, obviously having a really good class. Uh, Alabama, you know, good class. It's the typical, you know, uh, schools that you see having success are having it. For for example, Clemson got a big commitment from a five-star defensive end, Miles Murphy, who's really good. Uh, Alabama, Auburn, uh, a number of big schools wanted him. Big-time player. Um, he's 6'5", 265. Um, big get for them. So Clemson has definitely been kind of the talk of this recruiting cycle is getting a number of five-star guys now. And then, um, but Alabama's right there as well, but a big get for the, the Clemson Tigers. Yeah. It's like a two horse race right now for the top class of 2020 uh, Clemson, the reigning national champs are currently ranked number one overall. Alabama is number two, and both of them are now tied with the most top 300 commits uh, the most of any programs in the country 14 top 300 commits for both Alabama and Clemson after Alabama gets uh, wide receiver Tao Jones Bell if, if I'm pronouncing his first name mm. Tao or Tao uh, he comes from Miami six uh, five foot 11 185 mm -hmm. pounds and currently is the fourth ranked receiver in the class of 2020. Yeah, this kid can really run. He's a big-time playmaker with the ball in his hands. And as you mentioned, he's a Miami kid, um, recruited there by those schools. But it, really, Tennessee made some inroads, Penn State, but Alabama is where he's headed. Um, you, you know, they Alabama has, has made this, as, as Clemson and Georgia as well. They're going all around the country. Of course, Florida is, is a recruiting hotbed for a lot of schools in the southeast. But what I'm noticing with the, even programs like Alabama and Georgia, they're going into D.C. and Maryland and getting kids uh, around the country. So the big-time programs, the national uh, successful programs are the ones that are recruiting and getting the best players around the country. And this is the time of year where they're trying to get those guys, and then they'll fill out the rest of their recruiting classes uh, once they're able to kind of uh, close it out. Now, you know, here's the thing to keep in mind. It's only verbal commitments. Um, these kids will continue to be recruited by other schools. We will see some of these guys, a small percentage of them, maybe back out of their commitment. In most cases, with the certainly the really top recruits, schools won't back out on them. But, you know, in some cases, uh, you'll see schools back out on a recruit. And so 
it's not set in stone that these kids are going. It's just a verbal commitment. We won't know for certain until they sign their letter of intent in, in December in most cases. Yeah, of course. And we saw that already happen where Alabama stole a recruit from Oklahoma. So mm-hmm. you know, these, these kids do flip-flop until they sign their letters of intent. But you mentioned this is the early commitment period. What is so important about getting the commits early as opposed to, you know, right up to the early National Signing Day or the newly named National Signing Day? Well, you know, kids, a number of kids want to get their recruiting out of the way before the their foot, their high school season. And if they decide where they want to go, they want to get that done. Well, if you're a school, obviously you want to stay on target and get as many of those kids as you can. If you feel like, uh, again, it's non-binding, but if you feel like you know where you are with these players, you know, you recruiting is a two way street. You know, if you're interested, we've got a scholarship for you. In some cases, we got a scholarship for you for now, but we've got to move on if you're not ready to commit with us. But by by getting them at least committed now, you at least know where you are and you can look at the rest of your board and figure out needs and figure out where you are with the rest of your kids. And then you can kind of go and, and try to try to make the pitch um, through the remaining part of the summer. The next phase is going to be these um, these camps that uh, the schools have, mm-hmm. junior camps that they have on their facility, which will, uh, it, you know, some of these kids will be there, but many of them, Scott, are, are freshmen and sophomores in high school that they're already recruiting, and that's a part of a process. So, you know, it, it is good to get that out of, a way, out of the way now because in May – you can go on campus and see these kids. It's a recruiting contact period. So this is why you want to try to get this process done now, whereas you're, you're going to be a little bit of a, of a window now where it's going to take until the fall to try to continue to get some of these kids in the boat, so to speak. Like the early, like the, uh, early tampering period in free agency. You know, you're, you're allowed to talk now, uh, and you're allowed to get away with certain things now that you, know, that you can't uh, at other times of the year. I want to continue on with what's trending, Chris, with a couple of transfer news. Uh, it seems like that's what we've been doing lately is updating people on the transfer situation. Penn State redshirt senior quarterback Tommy Stevens has transferred to Mississippi State. Now, uh, he's a graduate, so that means he is eligible to play right away, correct? He is. Um, of course, he was recruited by Joe Moorhead and played for Coach Moorhead at Penn State when Joe was uh, the offensive coordinator there. It was expected that he was going to go to Mississippi State, but Kentucky, Miami of Ohio, uh, or other schools that were in his uh, kids, Ohio kids. So he was looking at a couple of those areas in that um, in that region. But as expected, he um, he ended up going to Mississippi State. Now for Penn State. It means that definitely Sean Clifford has the inside track to start after, um, you know, um, Stevens is, is definitely moved on. So good get for them. Now, they've got, obviously, with Katon Thompson and Jalen Maiden, two really good um, players at Mississippi State. So I don't know that he is going to start, uh, but he's going to certainly have an opportunity at least to work uh, in a backup role. Winning the starting job at this stage is unlikely, but who knows? We'll see. 
Good depth acquisition, though, for the Bulldogs. And the other transfer story is former Florida State quarterback DeAndre Francois going to Florida Atlantic as a walk-on graduate transfer. So he's eligible to play immediately. Now, we can we don't have to get into the reason why he was dismissed from Florida State. There was that whole situation with his ex-girlfriend and, and the alleged uh, abuse. But this is a guy, Chris, that prior to his injury was considered a Heisman candidate, was considered to lead the resurgence of Florida State football. He had that devastating injury. Their season went down the drains, and the school hasn't recovered since. And really, Francois was never that guy who lived up to the hype that we saw when he was a freshman. No, he hasn't. Um, And he hadn't really done a very good job on or off the field, quite frankly. And so he is a talented guy. And going to FAU, it's – it's another chance for him. Uh, it is a little bit off the beaten path, although certainly there's a lot of publicity that comes with Lane Kiffin being there. You know, it's a chance for him to go about his life and his career and kind of start over, if you will. He is a more talented guy than you normally would see um, at a Florida Atlantic. So we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Um, a reclamation project is something that Lane Kiffin has been known to take on. So we'll see if this works out for both. Yeah, it's it's tough. I always like, you know, you like to see guys that have that hype but don't live up to it get get a chance to maybe recapture uh, what everybody thought that they saw when 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 we first saw him emerge. But again, and not getting into any of the off the field stuff, but just purely on the field, you'd like to see people like that actually have some success and live up to the expectations that people had had maybe unfairly at the time thrown upon him. Moving on to Scout's Eye, there's some interesting offensive tackles this year around the country. Some guys that you know could be award finalists, but also could be real anchors for their programs. And, and look no further than Stanford Junior Walker Little, Chris. Yeah, you know, as, as I do a lot of my film work now in the, the post-spring practice after the draft and everything and getting, um, getting things aligned for the football season and obviously putting up all the profiles on LandryFootball.com. I, I am noticing a lot of guys that uh, off the film grade last year, but then certainly what they've been able to do this offseason and in spring practice. Very impressed. Walker Little is um, is very strong, really good upper body strength. Um, he's got a really nice bend for a guy his size. I like his feet. I like his hand placement and pass protection, and I think he does a good job in the run game. But he's just one of a few. Andrew Thomas of George is outstanding, really comes off the ball flat with good balance, really good run blocker, and he's got good foot quickness to handle uh, the slide and recoverability and pass protection. Uh, we always have to throw in an Iowa guy, and this yep. year it's Twiston Wirfs, who's simply outstanding. Um, he is really good um, uh, as a pass protector technique-wise, and he real, does a really good job of steering and turning guys in the run game. And then Trey Adams of Washington, another big guy that uh, I think has got enough Left and had enough feet to be a possible left tackle, definitely a right tackle prospect. So I'm excited about watching all of these guys this fall, see how they develop. They're going to be pivotal factors for their offenses um, this year. And then obviously uh, how well they play will affect their their status next year in terms of pro prospects. You know, you look at Tristan Wilfer, as, uh, as you mentioned, and I'm seeing early, early projections this guy's a top 10 pick, if not a top five pick in next year's NFL draft. Well, I think all these guys can be, you know, that. And 
Tristan probably doesn't have as much natural ability as Adams or Thomas or even mm-hmm. Walker, but Walker Little, but they're all really first round caliber guys at this point. Now we'll see how well they develop and you know, obviously the projections are just that. They're just kind of, of course. discussions. No one, no one, um, you know, it's just more guessing at this point. But these guys, you know, we I'm, I'm getting ready to go into some meetings at the end of the spring. After every um, late May every year, we have these spring meetings with the, with the league that the National and Blesto scouting organizations, and it's looking at the guys who are uh, going to be upcoming seniors or draft eligible guys. And um, these are definitely guys that I've got my eye on among others at the offensive tackle position, but these are the cream of the crop to this point, at least heading into the fall after the fall. We'll, we'll see how it develops. Yeah. You know, they say you can't teach size. And when some of no, these guys no. come in and have the, 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 you know, the prototypical body, the NFL size, I mean, coaches just salivate over bringing those guys in, but it's, a, it, but you're right. It's how. Do they work with these players? How do these players respond to the coaching? And how do they develop their game so that they can be successful with their size? Because it isn't just the size. The size is what gets them in the door, but it's really their commitment and their ability that gets them to the next level. There's no question about it. And, you know, a lot of these guys have natural ability from a strength standpoint, but some need to improve certain aspects of their strength, lower body, upper body. That's a correctable area. Um, the, the one thing that you need to look out for out there is, is the guys that can bend, the guys that are natural knee benders, uh, good athletes for that, uh, for that size is what you're looking for. That's what you really you can't teach because those, that natural athleticism along with the size, you can work with that. And then, of course, you've got to really drill down into how smart they are, how capable they are of learning. Those guys usually are, you know, are, are guys that can become really good when you can combine all that. What about on the defensive side of the ball? When, when you're about to head into these meetings and, and think about the top guys that are draft eligible for next year and, and how you're going to start to evaluate those players. On the defensive side of the football, anybody that you're keying in on? Yeah, well, there, there are a lot of guys that I think are really good. I mean, it's going to be an outstanding year. Uh, now, in terms of guys that could be underclassmen, which are not on the list, Chase Young of Ohio State uh, certainly fits that mold. Grant Delpit of LSU is another one. But probably the, the top senior is Derek Brown of Auburn, a uh, big-time defensive tackle that can play on the nose, can play in the shade, really gets good push. Uh, Roquan Davis is outstanding. Uh, Isaiah Simmons from Clemson is a redshirt junior. Uh, that's got a chance to be really good. A, uh, A.J. Uh, Appenza from Iowa, a junior, has got a really good chance. Um, Evan, Evan Weaver of Cal, linebacker, is very good. Um, there, there are a number of guys that really come out the, that, the, that stand out, that have a chance to be really good, um, that, that just kind of lead. It, it's, it's really at this point, the, the, the initial list, Scott, it's, it's not about who's the best. That, uh-huh. That'll be determined through the course of the year is what we really focus on is who has a chance. And so it's more important that we, we, that we put a guy in categories like a chance to make it. You, you don't want to, you don't want to eliminate anybody at this stage. That's got a real chance. So it's really more important. And we spend probably more time with trying to figure out, okay, this is how many guys are on the, on the list at Iowa or, you know, Michigan state or, you know, Clemson or what have you. And, and it's more the down the line guys that have a chance um, that you want to make sure that you cover 
and and you make sure who the top guy is again none of that matters other no, than maybe course. some lists it just uh it just doesn't mean anything it's not relevant at this point but those are some of the guys that really jump out at me and then of course you know there there's one of the things that I try to do and we do it at landryfootball.com we we study guys as we've kind of alluded to coming out of high school into college and then obviously once they're in college we studying them in college, we'll talk about a couple of them here a little bit. They'll have some impact as a freshman. Uh, following guys and studying guys throughout their college career is, to me, a, a, a pivotal way to really get to know a player and to know, kind of uh, learn about his maturity level and how he has improved or hasn't improved as a player in the person. So how about Florida State junior defensive back Sanford Stamuels? Well, you know, he's an interesting guy. I wanted to talk about him tonight because I thought he was, you know, he's a guy that had a, a lot of size, at least a lot of height. His, his body's not quite filled out, but he's worked his way up and starting to fill out a little bit more. He was a five-star cornerback prospect, and he played in that role um, uh, some inside last year, but they played him as a safety for, for much of the fall and I think that they're they're working to play him outside a little bit more this year. So he's a guy that's really interesting because he is a really talented guy that can really move. Um, he's got to fill out, again, his body and improve his, his uh, lower body structure and his upper body structure, his strength, and put on a little bulk. But this guy can really move, and he's got some natural ability to play the ball in the air. So whether they play him inside, play him outside, I think they're going to play him outside this year. And I'm curious to see how he develops. So um, he is he is a, he is one guy that came out that was really a five star guy that everybody wanted. There are not a whole lot of, of those guys, but this guy now is a junior, and I think is a pivotal year to kind of help that defense take the next step. And he does have the type of ability to be a next level player. He just doesn't have the overall production to go with it. So this is why he's kind of a guy that I've earmarked as. Look out, because this guy could end up making a huge jump, a quantum leap this year, um, if he continues to improve. You mentioned his size. He's a six-one guy. Is he in the mold of like an Antonio Cromartie, another big-sized cornerback like that? No, he's he's well, he's he's a he's a long guy, but he's right now he really came in at about 160 pounds. He's really up to about about 168, 170 range, and. That's where he's got to, you know, put on a, a a little more bulk. I think I think he'll be fine. I think he'll eventually be a 185 pound guy, 100 uh, 190 pound guy at some point with good weight. But he has that type of ability to be long. But in order to be uh, effective in press, he's going to have to improve his upper body strength. No question about it. All right, let's move on to the coach's corner. And you mentioned evaluating some of these players that come out of high school and how they will do, especially their freshman year in college. And we'll start with Purdue freshman defensive end George Kalarftist. I hope I didn't butcher his name. Six. I, I love size. I'm all about size, Chris. When these when these hogs come in, when these when these guys come in and they got that size, you know it's just it's just it's a football guy's dream. 6'5", 240 as a defensive end and can get off the ball as a power rusher, that just has me as a football guy thinking, oh, man, I can't wait to see this. Yeah, he's he's really an unusual, and all due respect for Purdue, Purdue, they don't normally recruit guys this good. Uh, I certainly had him among my top defensive linemen coming out 
high school last year. He's a red grade player, which is uh, corresponds to a four star guy, but a high four star guy. And that George's really good get off. I mean, he's he's strong against the run. He sets the edge at the high school level. He because of his frame, he's going to get bigger. He's going to be a two hundred sixty mm-hmm. pound, two hundred seventy pound uh, pound guy. But as a freshman. I think he's going to play. He's probably going to play at about 250 uh, this fall, um, and I think he's going to be a special player. I think they're going to spot play him early, if nothing else, allow him to get after the quarterback. He does a really good job of bending and shortening the edge, uh, and he's got good balance as a pass rusher. So I'm really excited about him. I'm excited what he can bring to Purdue. Purdue's had a history of developing a lot of good edge rush guys that have played in the league for a long time, but most of them are – guys that were developed or maybe two, three-star guys. This is a true high five-star guy that is good enough to line up anywhere. I mean, Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, the, the you name it, Ohio State. So for Purdue to get him is a really big story. And the fact that he's obviously an early enrollee and done a really good job uh, this spring, uh, I'm really excited about what he can bring the Borlas this year. Uh, another defensive end uh, that's coming into the season with – really high expectations is Drake Jackson at USC. Yeah, he's been the talk of their spring practice. Uh, built a lot like Leonard Williams, who's with the Jets, who played for USC. He's got really good size, and he's an outstanding pass rusher. Comes from a really good high school. that play, He played the run very, very well. But they couldn't block him in spring uh, at USC. So they're really excited about what he can bring to the table. Naturally gifted length strength at the point of attack, uh, and really good quickness. So I'm excited to what what he might be able to bring the Trojans this year. How about on the offensive side of the football? Let's go to Michigan State and their freshman wide receiver, Jace Bowen, as someone to watch. You know, they really do not have enough playmakers at uh, at Michigan State, and offensively they struggled quite a bit. Jace is is a really good-looking player. He's a really good baseball player. Um, we'll see where in the June draft, where it gets drafted uh, in the major league baseball guys, but he is really athletic. Um, he, the guy that can really run, but he could bend. He's got great eye hand coordination. He's someone that could help him really early. Uh, again, I'm curious to see, um, I, I think he's committed to playing football at Michigan state, but you always wonder, uh, when they get drafted, if something changes or how high they get drafted, something may change. But, uh, if not, I think Jace Bowen will have a, an impact for, um, for Sparty this year. Yeah, not sure um, where he's going to go in the Major League Baseball draft. You know, there's so many rounds and, and you never know, but it, then it's up to these players to decide, uh, I guess, what they want to do. You know? Yeah, and you got to be really more of a first, second round pick to, to really get the money that warrants, you know, making that move in most cases. Now, you know, I can't speak definitively, you now, know, well, what well, this here, kid here, wants to do. Here's the question that, because he actually was supposed to go to Notre Dame to play baseball. Mm-hmm. So how mm-hmm. did his recruiting work with, with, with I guess, Michigan well, State? Well, he wants to play both. They allowed him to play both. I, I don't think Notre Dame was willing to let him play both. Okay. So the plan is, again, unless Major League Baseball gets taken a lot higher than I anticipate, he's going to play baseball and football at Michigan State. Mm-hmm. Okay, And not many people made that offer for him to do both. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. Well, look, hey, Notre Dame. Well, big, 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 some big time programs want you to say, look, we want you to focus on football. Um, yeah. Some are just, you know, want you to do that. We're going to give you a scholarship. We want you in spring practice. Mm-hmm. And and with all due 
you know, respect to Michigan State. This is a really good kid. Now, he's rated kind of a three-star guy. I think he's a little better than that. But Michigan State said, hey, come here. We'll allow you to play both. And it's an opportunity to get a kid like that on campus that maybe you wouldn't have gotten otherwise. So there's a strategic element to it, um, why they were able to get that done. Uh, something that we didn't get into in our What's Trending, and as we wrap up the wrap up this episode and and talk about what's coming up, uh, over the next week or so, I wanted to run this by you, Chris, because it's something that we had talked about um, just at length about how conference dominance, right? And and the Pac-12 has really been down. Uh, I was reading an article about Pac-12 revenue and how their revenue dropped by $12 million last year. And they didn't have, uh, you know, they lost Rose Bowl revenue uh, because they, they the, the Rose Bowl hosted a college football playoff game and, and whatnot. But the Pac-12 is right now, and I'm being polite, it's the fifth of the Power Five conferences. Do you see it getting better? I mean, maybe if Oregon has a good year this year and and Washington plays well, do you see the Pac-12 having a bounce back sooner rather well, than later? It, 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 it's, first of all, on the field, the key is USC getting better. That, that That's... that's that's the Bell Kyle program. Basically, where so, they go, the Pac-12 goes. Well, right? I mean, here's the thing. Oregon can be fine. Washington does a really good job. Um, USC turns it around and becomes what USC can be, and that's a top 10 program, certainly top five-ish. And, and that is the right coaching hire and the right turnaround. All of a sudden, then they're right there. I mean, they're let, let's be honest. I mean, what is the ACC without Clemson? I mean, it, it's, right. it's mm-hmm. not very good. Mm-hmm. But so when your bell Kyle program, if you took Oklahoma or Texas, if you took Clemson or if you took, uh, you know, listen, Florida State turns it around. Now you got Florida State and Clemson. If you took Alabama, I mean, you take the, the, the key program. Other conferences have a little bit more depth at the top. Um the Pac-12 doesn't. USC is the bell cow program. So when they're down, that's going to hurt the conference significantly. And it has. It's a very average football program, USC, right now. That's got to change. And I don't know that it's going to change on the field this year enough. Can they be better? Perhaps. But can they get back to where they you know, rightfully belong or where they should be? Well, yes, that is the right coaching hire. But They've struggled, I think, with athletic director hires and the right people there making decisions, and that's why they've they've had some problems. So that can get turned around as easily as USC making the right hire. I mean, this has happened before. When they hired Pete Carroll, which was like the seventh choice for head coach, they were in the same boat. There were jokes calling him USC Junior College. I mean, (laughs) it was that bad. But it turned around, and obviously when Pete Carroll was there, I mean, it was Pac-12, and, you know, and Pac-12 is as good as anybody, you know. So, yes, it can turn around. Will it? That depends on the right moves that they make. Now, in terms of financially, well, with the success on the field, is going to turn around some of those finances. But, look, I, you know, I'm not privy to all the details around the business machinations of what they're doing. Uh-huh. I'll just say that, um, it came out recently, and we may have talked about this, and I know I talked about it on, on a couple of other situations, but uh, it the Big Ten came out. They had the highest revenue over the past, the fiscal year of 2018. 
So, and they were, by comparison, about uh, about $300 million more than the Pac-12. And the SEC is not far behind the, the Big Ten in terms of money. So when you're looking at a big chunk of money that's not going um, – and I'm not saying they're losing it. They're not losing money. They're not making as much money in the Pac-12. I think there are a few things that have to do with it. One, the revenue at the gate in a lot of those um, stadiums are, are not as good. Um, that has to change. It has to change with the improvement of the of the football programs as a whole. I think the overall recruiting has suffered because I don't think the facilities – have been up to snuff what it is compared to the rest of the country. They're working in many cases to improve that. But it's improving it to get to the point where, quite frankly, they should have been maybe 20 years ago. But with all that said, I have a real concern about their leadership as a conference. I think Larry Scott's really struggled as the commissioner there. Mm. Uh, there's something wrong when half of the half of the state of California can't even get the Pac-12 network. Yep. Uh, the business model, I, I don't know. And again, whatever they thought and however they do it, and because there's really not a Pac-12 network, there's Pac-12 networks. It's like in different markets. But the business model there needs to be looked at. I think they're leaving money on the table. Uh, I, don't, I think that a better run situation probably could generate the revenue along the lines of what the Big Ten has with their network, what the SEC has with their network. The ACC's coming on board with their network uh, in August. So I think the Pac-12 is leaving money on the table. They, they do have more sports in the Pac-12, meaning they got the water polos. Yeah, the They got a lot more sports. They got a lot more Olympic sports that they've got up miles to feed. But the general overall nutrition centers and – Football op centers are not nearly as good in other parts of the country. So it's what you put into it, but you also are leaving money on the table to the tune of maybe about $300 million less than some of the other competing conferences. That's got to change. So better leadership from the top of the conference and certainly getting the Belkow program on the right track is pivotal. But just think about this for a second. If they were to improve some of that, they make the right hire at USC. Chris Peterson is is really good at Washington. Mm -hmm. I don't know Oregon's recruiting well. I don't know if Mario's the long-term answer. We'll see. Chip Kelly's got to get UCLA relevant. I mean, all of a sudden, you do some of those things, and three years from now, we're talking about a complete turnaround. And it's, you know, hey, everything's positive. Hey, remember three years ago when we said they were dead? Well, they've turned it around. Well, I mean – that could happen, but it, you're not. It's not going to happen if you're wishing it. You've got to get some good substantive decisions that are made from the top, or else it's going to continue to go, you know, spiral down and be less and less of a league. Because there's no question that there is some other issues that are going on in California. We'll save it maybe for another day. But for example, uh, youth participation in football is down in California. Uh, way ahead of the rest of the country. Um, so that's possibly going to affect recruiting down the road. Is mm -hmm. it going to mm -hmm. reduce the re recruiting pool down the stretch? And then because the programs are not as good, unless a kid's tied to the West Coast and wants to play there, a lot of those kids are going and saying, I'm, I'm going 
you know, I'm going to somewhere else where football seems to be more important because the facilities are there. They do more things. They prepare us better. That's what the Pac-12 is lacking that, you know, other conferences are way ahead of them at this point. You can read more about this on LandryFootball.com and head to LandryFootball.com to listen to free podcasts every day from college football, including new daily SEC and Big Ten podcasts and this podcast as well to the NFL to deep dive into scouting and the coaching world. It's all there at LandryFootball.com. Get a complete breakdown of college and NFL rosters from detailed film room analysis. You get player grades, learn how coaches and scouts evaluate players as they prepare for their upcoming season and take advantage of the scouting season sale going on right now at LandryFootball.com because you're going to get, ready, ready for this, 50 over, over 50% off. Less than a magazine subscription. You get all the inside information. Go inside the game of football. If you like football, you'll love LandryFootball.com. And even, Chris, fans can sign up for free to the War Room newsletter, right? Absolutely. Uh, it's uh, we still got that going, and we look forward to uh, to keeping everybody updated uh, on everything there. Yep, and you can follow Chris on Twitter at LandryFootball. You can follow me, Scott Seidenberg, at Scott's On Air. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review to new episodes of the College Football Film Room Podcast wherever you get your podcasts, and of course at Believe.com. It's B-L-E-A-V.com. Until next time, Chris. Hey, look forward to it, Scott. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.